Hello and welcome to another episode of Northwestify, the podcast about tech seen in Manchester and the Northwest. I'm John Clary, co-founder of Craytech, a Manchester-based software development company, and joined as ever by my co-host, Zach Giorgio. Hi, guys. Recruitment guru and co-founder of Chroma Recruitment. All right, today we have not one, not two, but three guests in the studio for you, all software developers, all veterans, I mean, senior uh, level uh, developers. And we'll be talking about what's changed, current challenges that are facing developers, uh, and the future of tech. First, I have Dave Wilcock. Dave has been doing code in some form for the last 30 years, and he's dabbled in a few languages. More on this later. I settled with, down with PHP in 2001 and has never looked back. He's currently a principal developer at Gear for Music. Hello, Dave. Oh, hello. Uh, we got Paul Ardenban. Is in the not too distant past worked as a software engineer for And Digital, um, but more recently has been working for HMRC doing some hashtag blockchain forensics. Um, so we've got that cool phrase in our talk now. So hopefully we'll trend. He told me he could argue about the pros and cons of tabs versus spaces for an hour, but refused to tell me what his preference was. So uh, welcome, Paul. Hi. And finally, we have Toby Mason Barney has been working in the .NET and C Sharp world at Microsoft for desktop development. He has dabbled with Node.js and Elixir, but did not inhale. Uh, currently creating his own programming language, so I reckon he's the Heisenberg of the group. Welcome, Toby. Hello. So uh, thank you all very much for coming in today. Um, I think we'll just start off really by saying, what do you think is the biggest challenges, sorry, the biggest changes that we've seen in the dev world in the last maybe five years? What have you seen? Maybe looking at you, Toby, first. Um, from my point of view, I'd say probably the biggest change I've seen is the move away from graduates. So I'm personally myself a graduate, but I've noticed a lot recently that a lot of developers who come in now into the industry seem to be boot camps, people who just taught themselves. There's a lot of a move away from that kind of general universities in background. I've seen that a lot in the last five years. Yeah. I mean, I've only been in the industry seven years, yeah, so yeah. I can't directly say that. I've seen a huge change because I've yeah. only been in that long, but yeah, it's something I've noticed quite a lot. Yeah. Dave, have you? I mean, obviously you're working in a company that has quite a lot of developers there. What is their kind of approach? So graduate versus uh, bootcamp or other routes? Uh, yeah, generally we look for developers that are sort of, they've been in the industry for a few years already. Yeah. And more recently, what I've personally seen is that once upon a time developers used to come in with a specialization, like they used to be PHP developers, for example, and that was it. They didn't do anything else. Um, now, more these days, people are coming with all sorts of different things in their bag. And so very rarely do we actually em we employ a, a PHP, a pure P PHP developer. They will be JavaScript, they'll be Angular, they'll be React. They'll do all sorts of uh, uh, yeah different things. Uh, and, and so that's the biggest change that I've noticed, I think probably in the last five years, is there's less specialization and, and more kind of like people doing a, a bit of everything, really. Yeah, I've sort of heard it described as like T-shaped people. I don't know if you heard that expression before, where they have that broad spectrum of a lot of skills and it's multiple languages, <laughs> multiple frameworks. I, I think it's actually really good because I think when you've worked on two or three languages, your brain starts to see the patterns more and it's less about the idiom of one language and it's a lot more about generic coding constructs and, and how to make a computer do what you want to do. I'd say that from my career perspective, it's pretty much been that since I started. I have never really specialized in a specific thing. While I've been in .NET, I've had to know a lot of different things from the off. I've never been around a job where I've just had to specifically know one thing. I think I blame the web, really, because you can't, you know, you can't do just one thing, really. You can't. You can do PHP, but you've got to do JavaScript as well. And you've got to learn HTML and CSS to a certain extent, and you probably need to learn Bootstrap if you're being serious about it. And that is the, that is the absolute minimum. 
And then you go, right, well, I want to learn a front-end framework and a back-end framework. And I think if you go back to the earlier days of, let's say, well, any web development, but the early days of PHP for me, right, I've been doing it for a while. You could just do PHP and a little bit of HTML and a little bit of CSS and just about get away with it. Paul, what's your kind of experience? Is it, has there been a change in that direction or um, has it always been... Yeah, I was going to jump in there. I, th I think software development now is more about platform engineering than anything else. So I don't think there's much proper engineering that goes on anymore. It's more piecing together frameworks or snippets of other people's code. So if you look at any sort of average node project now, there's hundreds, probably thousands of node packages in there. They could have any number of vulnerabilities in them. And I think businesses kind of accept that as a risk because of the speed yeah, definitely move more towards like a configuration. Yeah, uh, you know, if you look, if you look at frameworks, and we noticed this when we were assessing people in their in their roles at work, and we say we ask them to demonstrate that they understand particular design patterns, and that's something that you it's really difficult to do when you have a framework that does all the heavy lifting for you because all the all the patterns are in there. So you, by definition, you're above that. You're one level above that, which is a shame in a way because I mean that's that was what I sort of came through on. It's like the um, early days of NC Framework. It's like that. that is a pattern yeah. in itself and people were trying to fit a repository pattern around a repository pattern because yeah. they didn't really get it. But if we think back, you know, the, the generation before us, I'm going to put us all in the same generation, sorry. Generation before us probably said the same thing about... Toby's know, not happy. Yeah. <laughs> not Toby's happy. <laughs> not Toby then, obviously. I think the beard ages you. Um, that... Okay, well, the the, uh, the generation before me <laughs> would have said, PHP is not a real language. You know, you need to be doing it in C if you're half serious about coding. And it's like PHP is a massive abstraction on what you're doing before. And same for .NET and same for whatever else. It's a huge abstraction, which it is. It was a huge abstraction with a library that like made things easier for you. And then another abstraction comes on and then another. Every every language is an abstraction. Yeah, exactly. Well, we just keep one. going. Yeah. I can I all just write I assembly. Can yeah, I, except the simple. Can I just pick up on a point there, guys? So, so really interesting start on the changes. Why do we think that the boot cams have become more prevalent, Toby? I think you mentioned that. And do we think that's of great benefit to the tech community and to the city of Manchester? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think the change that's come about is that there's you don't need the level of understanding that you do yeah, from like a computer science degree anymore. So I studied computer science at university, so I know loads of stuff about algorithms and data structures. I never use them in my day-to-day -day job because that level of abstraction is there. So I don't have to know that stuff. So if you go to a boot camp for three months and you're pretty much ready to code at possibly a junior level, you can go straight into a job then. You know, And the people who are hiring you know they've got experience coding websites or doing a very specific thing that that boot camp has taught them. So they're kind of ready to go. Well, a lot of people who have traditional graduate degrees don't you don't get that experience you just get the lower level kind of computer science background which doesn't really help you as a developer because you turn up to your first job thinking you should know everything yeah. and know nothing at all because you've never coded it's really interesting isn't it because we've just had the yeah, juniors in we did. it was a topic that we were just talking about with the juniors about yeah. the boot camps because that's how most of those guys came through and whether or not it was required now and i think jonathan moran has done quite a few pieces um, across at Chroma. Right? Graduates were uh, versus self-taught. I think it's quite interesting. And I think it's it can only be good to get more and more people into software development rather well, than having to go through that route. Yeah, and a team really is made up of people of lots of different levels of experience. You have you know, senior people who are given that higher level of guidance. 
and then you might have more junior people who are, are getting on with the work and, and have been taking that guidance and applying it to the, the problem. And it's a team, it's a team effort. And I don't think there's nothing bad about what those code nation camps, you know, the code camps are doing because they're bringing more people in and we, we know there's a shortage. We keep talking about it on, on this podcast. Yeah. And, but I think everyone's aware that there's a shortage. You only have to open your LinkedIn, right, to see the number of people who are, are trying to tap you up for... Roles. Recruiters trying to top up No, no, no. I don't mean you, Zach. <laughs> I mean other recruiters. <laughs> <laughs> You're much. How do you tap? You don't get up? messages, <laughs> do you, guys? Well, I do. <laughs> Only every day. <laughs> I, I mean, you do see people's profile that says "No recruiters, please." That's their headline. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. but that's you know, fair enough. So, what technology-wise? I mean, that's interesting because that was partly kind of cultural, you know, change or not cultural, but kind of root in that that's change talked a little bit about some of the technologies or the, how the technology has changed. What else have you seen in that sort of space, like languages changing? Uh, the one the one that I keep thinking about is Node, how they've tried to make this the sort of front and back end language, you know, Node.js, JavaScript. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I'll dive in. Um, I, I do have something to say about <laughs> boot camps as well. Okay. Um, I'm half for them and half not, uh, mainly because my biggest concern with boot camps is it gets you ready to be immediately productive and profitable to a company. Now, that's good for the company, but that could have long-term implications, especially if Bootcamp is so narrowly focused on how to make React components, for example, how to make a usable UI. That then programmer is kind of in the industry and they don't really get what's going on sort of at the machine level. I know it's not as important now, but I have found it can be a hindrance when you're trying to debug, especially if things don't go as expected. They kind of don't really know what to do because they don't have that fundamental understanding. So it's kind of like um, the analogy I use is like your mechanic that just puts things in a car and you say, why? You know, what does that part do? Why does it go there? And he goes, I've no idea. It's just, it's just always gone there. And that's where I've been told to put it. I think that we run the risk of having developers that are kind of like that. Right. But at the same time, half of my degree spent on com interrupts, never used them. Is that not indicative, Paul? within any industry as you're bringing people through though so you know I, I mean ultimately at the end of the day I think that the challenge with skills generally is always being there it's never mm -hmm. going to change it can only benefit us by having more of these opportunities for people to come into it so I suppose in regards to your point I think you mentioned you were half for them and half against them the against part is that not a challenge that you get with any junior any apprentice any graduate I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's against, really. It's it's more, I don't think businesses are mature enough yet. If you, there are still so many jobs out there, still so many companies that employ developers that are just terrible employers. Right. So they'll, they'll employ you and have you working on useless utility functions, right. building things to parse CSVs and produce other CSVs to feed through a, a finance system. They don't really get what development is. They don't really care about you as a developer. They just want you to write code. So is that more of sorry? sorry you can yeah, I was in. just just going to add to that. Um, I've known quite a few developers from boot camps who've come out and gone into jobs which were completely unsuited to them. Basically, just been hired out of the boot camp because they were at a boot camp, and they've ended up the only developer in a company or working yeah. on very high level stuff that they've never touched before, yeah. just because they were from a boot camp and the company has been promised certain things. I think right. that is a danger of it that these you might be shoehorned into a role that's not suitable for you. <clears throat> That's why you should definitely use recruiters, particularly Chrome <laughs> recruitment. I think no, I think it definitely comes back to Paul's point that the complete lack of understanding in some companies about 
what a developer does and what support a junior developer needs and what skills are required to build an application. You can't just hire someone who ticks some boxes. You know nothing about it. You know you want a, you know, a React Native app, so I'll hire the cheapest React Native app developer I can find, which yeah. is a junior coming out, and then say, go, go build me an app and just leave with Stack Overflow. That's not going to work. And that does make complete sense. You know, when you're coming out, you do you need experienced people around you. We all do, don't we, ultimately? So, yeah, that makes complete sense. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about culture then. What do you think of those sort of software factors that people of your skill level are looking for in, in roles now? What do you think is attracting people? Because we looked at, talked about things in the past, like greenfield projects, or is it the, do you want the beanbags or the football table, which is it? So I think, we, what, are the, what are those kind of things that people are yeah. looking for now versus maybe 10 years ago? I think um, for me, it's, if you're looking to employ the best developers in the industry, then you need to offer realistic perks and what I mean by perks is it's not beanbags and it's not foosball tables. It's, for example, your birthday, you just get that off free. Or the ability to have additional holidays because you've pushed out a product that's been really good. For example, um, like social perks are all very well, in, uh, but actually to me as a developer, they don't mean that much because I have a family and I don't have time to go out and hang around in pubs and bars and hang around in the office at night time actually to me a perk would be spend more time with your family or just and that you know that's ultimately that's what makes me happier that's make, make, makes me a happier developer so yeah that I think that's quite a big thing like you see so many interviews and uh, job roles and they're they're all boasting all sorts of social perks but I feel like they're quite shallow and, uh, I'm, and I'm not saying that they don't serve a purpose they absolutely do if you're building up a business and it, it helps build a so, sort of community with a new business but ultimately, if you're busy, you never get a chance to, to use the foosball table or the arcade machine or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I think those there needs to be more focus on sort of real, meaningful perks. And, and that's that's a big draw for me. Um, coming from my point of view, I don't have a family yet. So I haven't got to that stage in life. A lot of the things you just mentioned there don't really apply to me that much. I mean, I, don't, I agree on the foosball tables and stuff. They're useless. If you that good of a developer why do you want to go and play foosball you should be that interested in what you're doing so for more for me the kind of things that i look for is is the kind of community that the company is going to provide so i want to be in a place where i can express myself and my ideas i don't want to have to stack the desk headphones on don't talk to anyone for 12 hours go home i want to be able to say well this is wrong why don't we do this and be listened to that's the kind of more environment that i look for as a developer and also tech stack you don't want to be work, sitting there working on sql all day every day you want to be playing with AWS, Azure, cloud apps, serverless, whatever the newer thing is. And those kind of developers that push themselves want to play with that kind of technology. For me, that's really where it kind of comes down to at the moment. But then, as I say, as life goes on, your priorities change. So I can kind of understand why companies offer kind of beanbags and things like that. Because when you're a 25 year old living up in Manchester, you've got a different idea of what you want from a job. Yeah, I mean, I've talked about this subject before. There's a place for everything, okay? And, and what appeals to one might not appeal to other. However, I think the key things, certainly from a tech perspective is, how cool is the tech? What is it that you're working on? Is it gonna improve you? Is it gonna develop you? Is it something that you're gonna be interested in? And is it something that's exciting and challenging? Is the work-life balance fair and reasonable? Are you a good employer to work for? And you know, I think salaries are already where they are, aren't they? So I don't think the salary, I think the salary is an, an element to it. But I would argue that unless you're contracting, if you're a developer, 
your salary is probably around the right level. The key thing is, is making sure it's working on the right tech stack. Is it something you want to work on and the work-life balance? So, um, sorry, just before you jump in, John, I think it also comes back to your point with the boot camp thing. Is business doing enough? A business taking somebody that doesn't get it, isn't strong enough to do it and just putting them into a position and a role. So I think there's all those benefits of, of, of stuff, but equally, does the business understand what it is that the developers really, really want? Yeah, it is. I think it's definitely about getting the whole package. It's not for some people that the culture in the office or the out of office culture is really important or being around the people and where you can express yourself. So a bit some respect in the office and an opportunity to voice your opinions. But then, you know, Dave was saying more about the sort of flexibility side of it or benefits that are really tangible to a family. And then there's also the, the technology. So one thing I want to bring on then is really about what do you do individually to stay, I'm going to say relevant, but to stay on top of new emerging technology so that you feel that you've still got the skills, you know, to keep you going for another 10, 20, 30 years, whatever it is. So maybe Paul first. Um, yeah, quite. I used to work a lot at home, sort of in the evenings. But that was sometimes kind of, I wasn't really getting what I needed through the day at work. So work was spent doing mundane, pointless tasks. This is earlier on in my career. And I could quickly see that the tools we were using were just falling out of fashion. And if you carried on doing that, you spend eight hours a day working there and you go home and then you come back tomorrow, do another eight hours in old tech. In about a year, you're unemployable. Yeah. Completely stagnate. So I had to invest a lot of my own time in the evenings kind of staying up to date with things just inventing pet projects doing open source work doing free charity kind of work just just to kind of find meaningful interesting work to do just going back to the perk stuff i think the only two perks anybody wants is meaningful interesting work and autonomy if you give somebody those two things that's it it's interesting that you say that's a perk because for me that's just the job it, yeah <laughs> like yeah. You, you get perks on top of that that's that's the to me that's what a, but i guess that depends on what job you actually get because some jobs are just so mundane and boring that you don't get that. You know, come yeah, today, work every day, yeah. work on something that's so old that no one does it, no one talks about it. It's not interesting. It's the same thing every day. It's dull. It's boring. While other roles in development, you may be doing really interesting stuff every day. So that you then don't have to go home and do prep projects at yeah. home because you're already getting that fulfillment at work and you can use your spare time to do whatever you want. So I've got another question then for you. So I think we're all on different coding programming languages here are we so i have a question would you consider switching programming language have you ever and we all and there was some mentioned beginning two or three languages already in the mix but would you wholesale switch to another baseline language considering if dave's case he's been doing it since 2001 that's a big like you're dropping off all that tech knowledge in and then dumping it maybe um so i'm going to start with dave you the most controversial one if someone came along and said hey the job uh good news everyone we're switching to um what would you least likely to learn? What was the language you would... What, Elixir? Ruby? Ruby. Ruby, yeah. yeah Ruby yeah. be As up there. As a PHP developer, definitely. Yeah, there was, we are definitely... <laughs> at, at, that's a battleground. Okay, so coming in the morning and your boss says, hey, um, great news. We've um, got a huge investment to rebuild the whole app, the app in Ruby. And I know he wouldn't because I know him. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would your response be? Or some, you know, Or is there a point at which you go, do you know what? I'm ready for a challenge. I think I'm always ready for a challenge. Like, yeah. I think... Maybe every year I say to myself, oh, I'm going to get stuck into a new language. Like this winter, I'll learn C-sharp, for yeah. example. So 
I am always up for, I'm, I'm not that kind of gnarled old PHP developer that will only ever do PHP for his life. I, I actually, you know, like I'm, I'm interested in learning new languages. There's a really good benefit in that. I've always thought if you are a good developer, you can write whichever language you want to. It's just about learning syntax. Yeah, a lot of yeah. nods around the room there. Yeah. I think everyone's pretty yeah. much in agreement. But the advantage of learning a new syntax and, and learning how other languages work is that it allows you to think about your native language in different ways. There's never the same solution twice in two, well, very rarely the same solution twice in two languages for a complex problem. And so, you know, you write a solution in one language, Python, for example, it's very different to anything that I've done previously. Um, and then you take those learnings into another language and you, you think about the software differently. And I think it's, yeah, it's really beneficial. So yeah, am I up for learning new languages? Yes, every year I am. Yeah. Do I? No, <laughs> I'd never have time. I think switching would be a, a, a different question, isn't it? Because you come, you then you're coming into the market with zero or one year's experience. So I think it would have to be a vehicle for getting you there, such as your employer saying we're moving, and yes, which is what happened to me, by the way. So happened to me as well. Did, okay, yeah. Tell us about that. Uh, so yeah, we switched from .NET to Elixir, which was insane for me yeah. because I'd never done functional programming before. It was really interesting. But I understand what you mean there about you, f you kind of feel like, well, I'm a senior now, but if I switch languages, will I become a junior again because I don't have the experience? But what I found is that it's not that hard to write things in another language because you generally know the stuff around it, the fundamentals. You know what REST is. You know how to make an API. And at the end of the day, it's just different syntax. And you just got to learn that. I think the thing that the hardest part of it was just time. I had to Google a lot and then getting work from there and feeling like a noob again i think that's what i found the hardest when something i could have done in in my old language in a minute i hadn't a clue how to do and i didn't even know how the, the framework that i moved to was so different from what i'd done before that i didn't even know what i needed to google like that's how hard i felt that and that was yeah. only for three four weeks but it felt like a, like an eternity i found debugging interesting switching and because in the dotnet world debugging is really easy you just press play and then yeah. put your breakpoint and off you go in Elixir, it was just, you had to install a bunch of different things at the time because it wasn't that mature and it was just odd. And that I really struggled with that kind of aspect of it. Like the more kind of like how the tools you use, I found were a bit more of a struggle than the actual learning of the language. The IDEs I had to use, the way I had to deploy it, all that kind of stuff was so different that it, that just slowed me down considerably. Yeah. Paul, how about you? Um, yeah. So personally for switching language, yes. And I have many times. I class myself as that fabled polyglot programmer. They're just tools, really. I mean, there's definitely a learning curve to pick up the syntax, to be able to piece things together in the tools. But I think because I've got such a background in programming, I understand how languages work and I understand how machines process information. So it's just figuring out what it is I need to do. It's like verbal languages. Now, once you've learned the second one, Exactly. Um, you, you understand the sort of what's going on underneath in language, and then the third and fourth are easier. And then back to Dave, what David was saying, that you see patterns in other languages that you can apply to your yeah. day job, if you like, in, in that first language. It was really interesting, actually, seeing you all like nod your head a minute, the minute you mentioned about the good programming side of things. So I remember the first time I met you, you turned around to me and you said to me, uh, uh, good programming is good programming in any language. Yeah. And you all immediately nodded straight away, like, that's the case. Um, to put it back on you, John, because obviously I'm the only non-developer here, but you did switch, didn't you? You switched twice, is that right? At least, I think, well, probably three or four, but yeah, one, twice, the main kind of switches, yeah. The main switch was from PHP to Ruby, yeah, if I remember right. Yeah, most recent. And what was the biggest challenge that you faced? Well, 
my PHP experience prior to that was non-framework-based work. So it was all hand-crafted code. And I've done a little bit with Magento, which is a framework, but it's a framework like no other. It's an absolute beast if anyone's ever worked with it. That, and I didn't know it that well. So the first challenge was learning how a framework of that size and magnitude of Rails works and getting my head around that. The second one then was learning Ruby and learning how to use the language and it is different it looks different it's weird and brackets are optional and it just blew my mind and i was used to a very controlled way of coding in php and everything had a, a way of doing it it was one way to do it i would say and in ruby it was like yeah do what you feel like kind of thing and it, that felt weird for a long time so it, luckily i was in a business where we had time to do it and i had a kind of four week window to start learning it and then two weeks to take up a product an app and get ready for production so we kind of have a six-week window to kind of turn it around but to the point of like yeah you can learn any language I think it took me another year or two to get good at that language I don't yeah sure you can say oh it's all syntax you can learn it and you can read the book I'm not 100% on board with that I think to be good at Ruby takes even a senior developer who's really good will still take them two years and that's not just Ruby it's any language so I think it does take a while to get up to that level but I mean, going back to that point, we hired, we couldn't hire Ruby developers back then. So we were hiring developers and we cross-trained them and that was successful for us. And I think that's, I think there'll be more of that, you know, particularly with people coming out of bootcamp with JavaScript skills and not everyone's doing JavaScript, right? So we say, you've got JavaScript, that's great. Just forget that now. And we're going to start doing something else. Um, so now you've all worked, I think, in a couple of different companies at least probably more than a couple. I want to maybe draw on your experience of the difference between working for large companies with maybe multiple development teams versus a smaller company with maybe one or two development teams. What would you say the biggest differences, frustrations I'm particularly interested in? Um, start with you, Toby, if I can. Um, I'd say going back to the point that was made at the beginning of the uh, of the pod, which was that most developers now are like a polyglot. You know, they know a lot of stuff across the board. The bigger the I found is the bigger the company you're in, the less you need to know because yeah. there's more teams with more expertise that you just hand off stuff to. You might have data administrators or cloud services, and they just handle a lot of stuff. Well, if you're in a smaller team, you end up seeing a lot more of everything. So you'll be doing your own DevOps, you'll be doing your own code, code repositories, every, everything, your database, and you'll end up just getting more hands-on with everything rather than in a bigger company where you're just, this is your area, this is what you're going to do for now. You may get to move around, but when you're actually doing your role, you have a lot less to know. So, yeah, so it's a really specialization. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Sean, I was just going to ask. It's a really interesting one, that, for me, because I've seen that throughout my whole career, just the diverse companies that I've worked with. Do you prefer that or not? The question to all three of you. Do you prefer yes. having the, the variation to increase your skill set or do you prefer to be channeled in one particular area? I don't, that's not an e easy question it? Yeah. And, and it's not like a one word answer either um, yes because it broadens your knowledge but no because and this is probably me being a slightly older disillusioned developer um, <laughs> you also lose your specialization and for me that's like you know if I if I want to be um, an API specialist I, I want to be the best in the business and so if I'm doing 10 different projects in a year and they're all to do with entirely different things, I just feel like I've not specialized in anything. So so that's that's the downside to it, I think, is for me personally is, yeah, because there's no specialization there. Okay. 
Yeah, I've found that it's, it kind of doesn't matter anymore. I've worked in big companies with loads of programmers, and we all tend to just form into small teams anyway. So you, unless you're kind of you know mixing and matching and taking people from teams and, and, and spreading the skills about a bit, you end up staying in the same sort of small team for about 12 months. So even though you work in this big company and there's hundreds of developers, you only ever really work with eight of them, maybe 12 right. at a time. Yeah. Um, Preference-wise, in big companies, you've got more chance of finding a kind of mentor, a, a support group. Small companies, you kind of haven't. But on the flip side of that, small companies, you can be seen as far more valuable. But obviously, the con to that is if the more valuable, are, more valuable you are, the more chance you've got of kind of turning the, the environment a bit toxic. Right. Because if you kind of find yourself to be you know, the lead of a small team and you're not particularly suited to it, you can end up pushing a lot of people away and there's nobody to really pull you up on it because it's just such a small team. Nobody kind of questions you and your skills because you've been there for so long. Where in bigger teams, more experienced, different people will pull you up on certain things. I think it's interesting that because I think in bigger teams, there's actually more places to hide. You know, you can shirk because you're part of a squad that's part of a team of developers. And so, you you know, you might, you might be only one-tenth of the whole development team. So... You can just have weeks where you actually produce very little, and I think that's only possible in a bigger business. Uh, yeah, I true. wonder though, because if you're doing agile properly, I think we're talking about it, sort of agile teams that should you know that should be shining a light into the corner, the darkest corners of your business in standups when they're doing demos. That should be really obvious to anyone on the team. Yeah, sure, they can they might be able to sail through in a bigger business, and unless someone like rats them out, it's they may they may get through a number forever potentially has anyone actually worked on a proper agile team though that delivers using agile <laughs> what is a proper agile exactly. team exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> no because it's like, agile doesn't say we delivered that because of agile i think people can say we we are a scrum team i think which is you know and we follow scrum by this this particular version of this particular book because there's so much room for that because part of the thing about agile isn't it you can change the process itself mm-hmm. Which means that, by definition, you can change it back to waterfall. No, probably not that far. But you can change it, and so I think if you're doing, if you're focusing on val- on outcomes in a team, then it should be obvious if someone's not delivering. Definitely. Oh yeah, I was just going to go back to the to the question. Um, the thing I found about smaller teams when you're in a small team is that your responsibility responsibility goes way up. So the stress levels go way up. You know, if you're responsible for writing your code, testing your code, deploying your code, getting it into production, all of the full stack of everything you need to do, there's a lot more going on than if you're sat in a big team somewhere and you just check your code in, someone reviews it, it goes up, and then some other team takes it off you to deploy it through the environments and handle all that. So it's more on you. You know, you can't just go home at the weekend and be like, well, I'm done for the weekend. You may have to be called in on a Saturday because the code you released has crashed the entire site. And I think that's a, a big definition between a big company and a small company. Bigger companies have more risk involved, which means they will have things in place to handle that rather than in a lot of small companies. Oh. It's on you. Yeah, I think that to- comes back to autonomy because autonomy equals responsibility. If you want one, you're going to get the other. Yeah. And, you know, you're, there's no chucking stuff over the wall. You've got to be, like I say, you got to be on call. If the, you know, if the pingdom hits you at 4 a.m., you've got to wake up and fix that side or whatever. That's really interesting. Um, so um, we're nearly at the end of the podcast. I want to go around and ask you all if you had any any words of wisdom or advice that you would pass on to um, anyone either entering the industry now or, or the early part of their career. It can be anything from uh, don't learn uh, Ruby, 
Is that right, Dave? Um, <laughs> anything really? Just just a couple of thoughts. I'll maybe start with you, Paul. Um, I'd probably say something like ask to speak to the senior engineers, the senior developers, and just see what they're like as people as well as programmers. Oh, don't and probably that. <laughs> and probably also see the last time they had a big deployment, how quickly and easily that was. Because if you've got good engineers and you've got a fairly good handle on your kind of platform engineering stuff, you're probably onto a fairly good company. But it's it's impossible to tell at an interview whether the company's getting a good developer or whether you're walking into a minefield. It's just not possible because so much is hidden. Yeah, that's that's really brilliant advice. Like you need to know the tech you're going to be working with, the people you're going to be working with, the environment. You know, the, all of that matters, and they, that can be hidden from you in an interview where they take you to the third floor to a HR yeah. interview room, ask you all the questions, and then and you go home knowing virtually nothing yeah. about the business except what they choose to share with you. Because yeah, there's a last question I'd probably ask: When did you last mess up? What happened? If they, if they say, "Oh, we never mess up," well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're lying. They've just not shipped yet, probably. But yeah, they're, they're either lying or they don't do anything. Yeah, Toby, um, I'd say for a junior developer or someone coming into the industry, don't worry about knowing everything. Keep plugging away. Keep learning. You don't need to know everything. The seniors don't know everything. The dev managers don't know everything. Nobody does. You've just got to keep going and and plugging away. It, what you want to know and learn yeah that's really useful i think and there's a lot of mental health issues being raised in the moment in the industry and imposter syndrome is, yeah. is you know a huge concern for a lot of people people looking at see looking at job specs reading the list and zach t- talked about earlier the list of all the skills that they expect you to have they don't expect you to have them all this is a wish list right hopefully it's in some kind of priority order if you're lucky and you go i can do that i've done a bit of that okay i'll apply for the job and i think People, you know, you're going to have to get a little bit out of your comfort zone applying for some of these jobs. But, yeah, you're not going to know everything. Hopefully you learn it while you're there, if it's a good company. Yeah. yeah. Dave? Um, yeah, I, I think if you are, if you're thinking about getting into the industry, if you're thinking about becoming a developer or changing your job, for example, if you're something else, a designer, for example, do it. Um, boot camps are perfect for that, especially if you're a bit older. University's out of scope already. Do it because... Certainly in Manchester, Manchester needs more developers all the time. Like there's always a sort of shortage, uh, no matter uh, what you're looking for. So just do it because the internet's going to be here forever. People will always need software and there will always be software development jobs. Yeah. Um, brilliant, this conversation, by the way. I loved it. It's been really, really good. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I've got another question, John. Sorry. Go. Um, I know we need to finish off, however... To each one of you again, including you, John. What's going to be the most popular language in two years' time? Golang. I've no idea if it will be. I just. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's all make a different prediction, and one of us might be right. Uh, well, if you look at the Stack Overflow surveys for the past four years, JavaScript's been pretty much at the top of the list, but that's because of Node. I think it's kind of we've got React, Angular, Vue. How many more do we need? Yeah. So I think it's probably had its day. So yeah, probably I'd look at something like C Sharp or Go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm down with the C sharp. I mean, I think right now JavaScript is top, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Depending yeah. which I'm, index you look at, Java, Java's up there. It's been yeah. up there for so many years now. C. <laughs> I don't know. If you want C. to learn yeah. something really hard, learn C, <laughs> yeah. the mother of all languages. Yeah, that's more about memory management than anything else. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so we've got GoLang, we've got JavaScript, and we've got 
C sharp. C sharp. Maybe Java. But is not the reason JavaScript is <laughs> so popular is because the only thing that makes anything do anything in a browser. Yeah. As soon yeah. as that's gone, like WebAssembly, well, WebAssembly going to really yeah, wipe that, that out, possibly. That could potentially do that, yeah. I'm going to ask you all again for one-word answers. <laughs> <laughs> Paul? Um, let's go with Go. Go. Golang? Golang. C-sharp. C-sharp. JavaScript. JavaScript. Right, on that note, uh, we end the podcast. Thank you very much, uh, our guests, for coming into the studio. Thank you, Zach. Um, if you like the podcast, please subscribe, and you can get in touch with us via the usual channels, either through LinkedIn or we'll put an email on the podcast. Thank you very much. Cheers.